Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 311 from the Peanut Gallery. Recorded November 26, 2017, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. ElementOP.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Drive Time Radio for Geeks. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel. And joining me this week, once again, are the the two, the the best I could afford, the stalwart co-hosts um, for, of this show, Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson, and Miles, the back from Aussie land, Wakeham. Hey, gentlemen. Hey, Mark, and welcome to the fine opiates. Greetings, hey, y'all. Yo. <laughs> We're back. That's all I got to say. Oh my! Who let the helium out? <laughs> it's just just a this is this show is a listener feedback show, and uh, I will say that not all of the listener feedback I have is in here. Um, some of you got really carried away and sent me lots of stuff. I'm talking to you all. Uh, I'm not complaining. I'm just not going to have seven things from the same person in one show. We we gotta we gotta speed uh, 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 spread it out a little bit. Um, but one of the comments that I don't think I put in the show. Um, was, you know, how about having a, um, non U S point of view since you no, have it's in there, is it there? Okay. It is there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to there in a minute then, but basically spoiler alert, miles is an American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, yeah, let me, I have to fit. I did these, the. I did the the notes on my phone at a trampoline park when I was there for um, a uh, birthday party. Not my child's birthday party, but when you have three children, um, you tend to always be at somebody's birthday party for some reason or another. And uh, while it is possible to edit a Google Doc from a phone, they really go out of their way to make it as difficult as possible. It can be done, but it's an unpleasant experience all the way around. You know, used to, back in the day, you could do everything from the Google app. And then, of course, Google realized that's one button access for all our stuff. We can't have that. Why have one app on their phone? We can put 57,000. And then you used to be able to do everything from the um, Google Drive app. But now, no, you have to go get the freaking Docs app if you want to edit the thing. I'm like, dear Lord, can we just, why do you keep screwing it up, Google? Um, I understand I'm the minority opinion, so there's going to be a new doc app or an edit existing doc app, and then there's going to be edit a doc in someone else's folder app coming soon, and y'all can say, Seth, why do you hate that? Why are you killing us here? So, fun yeah, times. Yeah, so there was, there was, it used to just be docs, right? And then it was drive, and now docs is not what drive used to be, but now you have to have drive and docs and sheets and presentation i forget what their presentation was you have to have four now to replace one i'm not really sure what the benefit of that to google could possibly have been but you know when you when you're sitting on billions and billions of dollars of guaranteed ad revenue coming in from everywhere else what else you're gonna do (laughs) you're just gonna make stuff up and ruin everybody else's life it's what you do when you google it's like a geico commercial when you google you mess with people it's what you do (laughs) And do you do it because you have to? No, you do it because you can. Yeah. So anyway, uh, I say that to say nobody sees the show notes, but but Seth and Miles, if things look weird to you or uh, just g- generally not up to par, it's not that I did them in a hurry. 
It's that I did them remotely and in a hurry, kind of. I mean, when when you're at a when you're watching, I don't know, twelve or so children between the ages of nine and eleven bounce on a trampoline. Uh, there's only so long that that's entertaining, you know. Uh, so I, I was looking at my phone. I was doing thing, and there was this little two and a half to three, somewhere in that range, boy um, who was apparently unhappy with the fact that I was using my phone and literally just slapped the phone right out of my hand, bounced off the ground, slid along the floor. And his mom was like, oh, well, that's a thing that just happened. Uh, and, and that was it. Now, fortunately, there was no damage done. Had this kid broken my phone, though, what my, what, I don't know what my response would have been. I can't really blame the three-year-old. Three-year-olds are three-year-olds. But would I would I have gone to the mom and say you owe me a new screen? What I don't I'm not sure. I'm glad it didn't come to that because I'm not really sure what I would have done there. But it wasn't an accident. It was a malicious, you know. But again, malicious from the the mind of a you know 27 month old. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, he just slapped the phone out of my hand. Maybe his mom had done that to him enough. I don't know. Um, but it was it just brought up one of those things. What what would I have done had my precious baby been damaged in that? A new episode of Judge Judy. That's what you would have done. <laughs> in a in the generation of when I was three, um, had I done something like that, that person probably would have spanked me. And then my parents would have spanked me probably both at the park and when I got home. So, you know. So I looked, maybe I looked at the child in disbelief and said, What'd you do that for? Not expecting a coherent answer, but just as if to convey really to the mom. This is not a thing that's okay, you know. And then she decided to, oh well, I'll discipline my child. And the discipline was tell him you're sorry. And he didn't say anything. Tell him you're sorry. He didn't say anything. Okay, fine. No McDonald's for you. The kid's an Apple fanboy. That <laughs> must be it. <laughs> it's the reincarnation of Steve Jobs. You said three year old. So anyway, that's not neither here nor there. It's just a thing that happened. It was just an odd moment. Um, I don't know. I mean, what was he what, wearing what, a turtleneck? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was not. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, so I do, I do want to say a couple of things, uh, sort of pre-show before we get going here. Uh, one for those of you who are watching the video, the roughly six of you throughout the history of time that will do that, uh, will notice that I'm wearing glasses that I don't normally wear. These are not prescription glasses, but uh, after Miles is, uh, um raving about anti um computer glare glasses i decided to to try them out myself so i purchased a a set of cheap 15 dollar knockoff versions of the 85 dollar gunner glasses that he wears um and i'm gonna say i've been wearing them both at work and at home for about three weeks now um and these have a very minor magnification like maybe one diopter magnification and i and i think it, the ben, any benefit i get is probably more from the magnification than from the anti-glare or from the anti-blue but at the end of a day of staring at my computer i do feel a little better when i'm wearing these than than when i'm not so there you go 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 to amazon buy the i think these were 14 dollars. buy the cheap ones and try them out and uh you know they they're not exactly the most stylish thing ever but um they make my ugly face not entirely ugly so you know <laughs> there's a thing they look good they look good thanks if they do the job that's the important thing 
Yeah, so uh, it just I'm I'm not at that age yet where I need reading glasses. I'm getting there, you know. But for now, my arm is still long enough that I can do it. <laughs> uh, but at some point, when I'm going to need, when I will need reading glasses for reals, I I don't see any reason why not to get the anti glare, anti blue polarized reading glasses as well, you know, and just go that route. Um, but for now. You know, these are just a, an experiment. They've been going on not quite a full month. Um, but, yeah, better with than without. Uh, I, I can hear the door-to-door geek ranting at his phone right now. It's placebo effect, Mark. It's not real. The science is dubious. And Okay, fine. Um, but it does help. So if you're on the fence, try the cheap ones. That's all I got to say about that. Very cool. Well, and, you know, now you're adding that artificial element between your eyes and the page, thus onsetting the need for glasses at a faster rate some people would claim yeah, not- that could be true actually I, I you know i think i've noticed my eye muscles have not i don't know if it's the word deteriorated but adjusted to the fact that i'm wearing glasses a lot of the time that when i'm not wearing them it feels awfully more tired uh, but that again that could be a placebo thing it could be just adjusting to the difference i don't know but uh, I, li- I like mine. I wear them all the time. So, you know, I've got to sit in front of the computer all day. Why not Being be in some level of comfort? <laughs> yeah, and I'm pretty careful about, you know, I don't I don't walk away from my computer wearing them. I don't talk to people when I wear them. I take them off uh, anytime other than when I'm sitting at the computer. And I do that not not for any reason other than if this is going to be an experiment, it ne- I need to do as close to experimental conditions as possible. And if I'm comparing how these affect me when I'm looking at a computer – I try to only wear them when I'm looking at a computer. Um, and so, you know, I, I have a I have an office job. I have a computer job. And so on any given day uh, from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., you know, I'm spending 50 minutes out of every hour staring at a computer. So I do wear them a whole lot. And at the end of a day, as, as would be understandable, I come home and my eyes are really tired and just, you know, it's difficult to focus at things in the middle distance. Now I want to look away. Uh, I don't want to look at it. That's just fatigue. And with these glasses on, and again, it may be the magnification more than anything else, the fatigue is less. So there you go. There's my unscientific, quasi-scientific experiment with reading computer glasses. To be a good marketing campaign, the fatigue is less. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It doesn't suck quite as much. You might like it. (laughs) And then the other thing uh, I just gotta I just gotta say to these guys here, but in to the audience at large as well, I am burned out. Um, my 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 job is demanding um, more of me than ever before. My family I've got two teenagers and one who's rapidly um, approaching the teenage years. My life is crazy busy. I'm still sitting here today in the the clothes I wore to church this morning because. This is the the first time I've really sat down at the end of the day. I'm burned out, and I can't keep doing things the way I'm doing them. Um, so I, we we had already already talked about, and we did last year. We took the the December off, and Seth and Miles and I talked about doing that this year. So this is going to be the last show of this year. Uh, we had talked about doing some, uh, trying to squeeze some stuff in, or doing some fan favorites, something like that. Uh, and and it's just I don't have it in me. To do that extra editing and to do that calling, I just I can't. I need a break. Um, so we're we're just I'm just done. I mean, if you guys want to do stuff and send it to me, I'll post it. <laughs> I'm fine with that, but I just can't right now. 
Um, I was my, going over with my wife uh, on on the way from one thing to another thing today. We were going over the calendar, and it's like, all right, well, Tuesday night we have this, and Wednesday afternoon we have this, and then Saturday we have both these two things here, and then next Thursday we've got these three things lined up. And I just, you know, it's part of it is December, you know, all the projects are coming due. Everybody wants to have the holiday party. Part of it's the kids, part of it's the work. I'm just, I'm just done. So I'm just being blatantly honest. I've always tried to be open with the audience here. Uh, it's not you, it's me. Uh, I can't keep doing podcasts. Even one a week is just too much for me right now. So I'm going to take a couple of weeks off and maybe I'll be back in January. I, at this point, I can't even promise that. So that's what, that's what I have to say. Well, we'll be here when you come back. I know it's kind of a downer. I should have done it at the end of the show uh, instead of at the beginning of the show. <laughs> nah, um, no one listens all the way to the end. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you know, just just know that these two guys are are all in, and Miles in, in particular, uh, he's new to this whole podcasting gig. He's only been doing it uh, a little more than a year, um, or a little less than a year. Anyway, I don't even know. Um, so he's all rambunctious and gung ho, and and I'm something like a thousand forty seven episodes in to my career. I'm a little less gung ho about it than he is, to be honest with you. Um, and I'm just gonna be. I, I hate being this guy. I really do. But again, this is all about honesty. Uh, something that would help the ease the burnout is if you paid me to do this. That's a reality. It's just a thing. If I started getting money rolling in. Uh, and you people voted with your dollars and said, hey, we really like this. It would be worth the the effort on my part. But to d- continue to do this and to take away from my family and, and the other stuff and to, to not get anything out of it, right? I used to get the joy out of it, but right now the joy just kind of isn't there. Um, so if there's no joy, there needs to be some bucks. Is that crass of me to say? I, I'm just trying to be uh, upfront. Well, I mean, yeah, I know. I mean, because there's a lot of money that goes out to put this show on the air, that, you know, in terms too. of hosting and distribution and stuff like that. So it it costs money, and your hobbies are good, but your hobbies have to take a backseat to your lot to life. And so there's a difference between a hobby and a part time job. So I think the other thing which um, probably doesn't get said enough is that Mark does all the heavy lifting on this show. Um, I can only speak on my part, but, you know, when we record the show once a week, I, I send him a, a digital file, magic happens. And I know how much effort that is because I used to be a sound engineer. I know what it takes to edit and clean stuff up and make all the levels right and get the encoding right and and everything just perfect and then listen to it and verify it's okay. It takes time. I mean... You know, YouTube guys out there will complain that, you know, to do one 30-minute YouTube episode will take them seven hours of editing. Yeah, video takes a long time, but that doesn't understate what it takes to put a podcast together. It's a lot of work. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel you, Mark. I, I understand where, you, where you're coming from on this. Makes sense. All right. I don't want to be a whiner, but I don't want to be dishonest either. So, um so long for 2017 after this and then i really want to come back i want to get my mojo back i really do um but i'm i just can't um <laughs> i can't go on living like this i feel like a guy breaking up with his wife i want a divorce i can't keep living a lie no that's i mean these guys here make this show worth worth what it is i love the two hours i spend with them every week 
uh, and and that will be missed. And I'm hoping that missing that will will sort of stoke the fire a little bit. So anyway, that that's all I have to say about that. Um, and now the next thing is this: uh, in case you <laughs> don't live under a rock or something, uh, you you probably know uh, that uh, this was Black Friday, um, and the Black Friday madness has now spread globally. Um, and I saw a uh, Unilad, I believe is the website, a supercut of uh, people in Britain and maybe uh, maybe uh, Australia. The accents are, it's hard for me to determine, but uh, and especially when the accents are just bleeped out, people saying F you. Uh, but mobs tearing down displays in the stores, like grabbing TVs, yanking big screen TVs out of the hands of, of little women, and there were people bleeding. Um, and this, this is crazy to me that the whole point, you know, black Friday, the black is, is, as in a ledger, red is, is debt, uh, black is, is positive. So this is the, the big shopping day, the day after Thanksgiving, uh, everybody goes out and does starts their Christmas shopping. And so it became a thing, the doorbuster deals. And now black Friday really isn't a thing anymore. It's, it's like black November. I bought my, uh, washer and dryer on a black Friday deal, like November 15th or something like that. Um, just because I needed a washer and dryer. Um, and, you know, then there was Cyber Monday, which is the, the day coming up. So this is, we record on Sunday. Tomorrow, the Monday after Thanksgiving was back in the day when people had uh, um, dial-up at home. They'd go to work where they had real internet and they'd do their, their Christmas shopping online. And it was called Cyber Monday. I think that's all just kind of blended together into the Christmas shopping season these days. It starts early November. It ends late December. Um, and it's just all everything. Cause even Amazon's black Friday started on Thanksgiving, which as you might know, is a Thursday. Um, and it's continuing on now. You can go to their website right now and get black Friday. It's Sunday. Um, so it doesn't really mean anything. Um, but the, the madness <laughs> is still there. I, and I, I just got to say <clears throat> my time and my effort is worth way more than the 30 bucks I might spend on uh, save on that TV. It just is. Especially knowing that I can go online and get probably the same deal or a little better. Um, so did you guys do any Black Friday shopping this week? Nope. No, I saved I saved a ton of money by not by spending not buying anything. anything. Yes. <laughs> I was going to ask if you went to Geico. Uh, <laughs> 15 minutes yeah <laughs> no <laughs> that's the uh I'm, the conversation my wife and i've had many times over the years we'll be married um in two weeks two weeks from from tuesday or something like december 10th you do the math uh we will have been married 23 years and we uh were dated slash engaged for a year after that so we've been together 24 years and over the course of that nearly quarter century um, we've had this discussion probably a thousand times. Hey, I saved this money by buying this. No, you spent money by buying that. Yeah, but it would have been X. Only if you didn't buy it, it wouldn't have been anything. Yeah, but it was it was 50% off, so I bought it. So you spent 100% more than you needed to. And she doesn't understand that concept. Um, Miles clearly does. He spends money, uh, saves money by not spending money. Um, if it's a thing you need anyway and you can save money, that's a bonus. But if you're going to buy a thing you didn't want just because it's cheap, and that's what I think a lot of these Black Friday people do. They buy something they don't really want or need. How many 4K TVs do you need? Anyway. Is there one in the bathroom? If the answer is no, then the answer is more. 
There so, is every time I, I take my phone in with me. That's the TV in the bathroom. <laughs> Um, so anyway, I took advantage of Amazon's Black Friday deals. I, um, let me think. Yeah, I am completely done Christmas shopping on, uh, I, I finished yesterday. So, uh, November 25th, one month in, uh, one month away, I was completely done with my Christmas shopping. I had not started my Christmas shopping before November 22nd. I did all of my Christmas shopping on, uh, this weekend, this extended weekend. Uh, and I did... 90 plus percent of it on Amazon, uh, where I buy almost everything anyway. Uh, and so I keep, all day long today, I keep getting these emails. This will arrive on November 28th. This will arrive on no, November 20th. This is scheduled to arrive November 20th. On Tuesday, I'm not going to be able to get to my front door. I'm going to have to walk in the back door and then like have an avalanche of Amazon boxes because everything's going to come um, <laughs> that day. But one of the things I did, uh, I, I, I bought so much and lots of small transactions um I, I i don't have the discipline i guess to um put this in my cart and then shop for something else put this in my cart shop for something i buy it oh i see that i buy it i'm done so i did uh 14 transactions in a single day with amazon most of them under a hundred dollars and my bank shut me down for bank for fraud somebody's stolen your card <laughs> they're doing all these small <laughs> transactions no no that's okay it was really me I'm just a moron who was doing that. So maybe there's too much Amazon. According to Bank of America, I, I Amazoned a little too much this week. It is possible. I mean, look, you couldn't <clears> – <throat> I get back to the States, and I'm Amazoned, like, immediately. And within – it felt like within an hour or so, I worked out you can buy your Thanksgiving turkey at Whole Foods using an Amazon 20% off coupon. And so I'm thinking – Amazon's owns the world. I mean, they're the Borg. You can't avoid Amazon. So yeah, it, it makes sense. So I have the phone on my uh, the phone on my app, the app on my phone, um, as we all do, right? Do all of you have the Amazon shopping app on your phone? No, Seth doesn't. No, nope. no, Miles, you? Uh, yeah, I think okay. I do. Yeah. So we're sitting in the minivan, and the dome light burns out. All right. Well, I pull it out. I read the number off of it. I type that number into the Amazon app. Boom. There's a new dome light. It'll be here Tuesday. Um, so that's the that's the way I make 14 transactions in a day. They're just little things. My daughter comes to me and says, um, the charger cable uh, for my phone doesn't work anymore. And I said, well, that's like the sixth one I've bought you. I'm done. I'm not buying you anymore. You're on your own. Um, she goes to Amazon, looks up a link, hands me $11 and texts me the link and says, buy this. And it's a package of, of like five of them. And so, boom, there's a transaction. Uh, so uh, that's, that's how you end up having a bunch of transactions in a day. Man, that's a... I guess what we need to do if we want to be rich and don't trust that Bitcoin will be around, we just need to invest in warehouse space. Because every, the, half the country is going to be Amazon warehouse, and the other half is going to be Amazon delivery vehicles clogging up the roads. No, I, so, I think um, you got it wrong. It's it's one third Amazon warehouse, one third Amazon delivery, and one third you store space for people who don't have room to put all the stuff they bought from Amazon. Okay, I, I, I'll I I see to your superior <laughs> wisdom. <laughs> Uh, but the oh, one man. thing I did spore, John, um, the uh, Echo Dot, the slimmed down version of Amazon's Echo, was on sale for $29. Um, I bought seven of them. Because my plan is to put one in all three of the girls' bedroom, my bedroom, the living room, the man cave, and the craft room. 
Why do I need seven Alexa dots so that I never have to again scream, "Girls, dinner's ready!" That's that's in, that's why I bought it. The whole reason I bought it was the the Alexa drop-in uh, 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 feature, which Google doesn't have yet. The Google Homes were also twenty nine dollars. Not too well. I don't know if you're listening to this show on Wednesday if it's too late, but it's not too late as of the recording right now. You can go get one for twenty nine dollars. So that two hundred and ten dollars that I spent on seven uh, Echo Dots is a fraction of what it would cost to put an intercom system in my house. And so my plan is just to put one of these in every room and use it as an intercom system. And any other benefit we get from it, playing music or whatever, that's a bonus. I bought an intercom system for $200. But could you not have used like old cell phones plugged in to utilize the exact same effect? Well, that's different. I mean, I could, I would have to call them and they would have to answer. The drop-in There's feature. There's not some app you can, you know, turn this turn this useless piece of crap into an intercom app on Google Play. Maybe, but I don't have seven cell phones laying around yet. <laughs> Kids are slapping them out of your hand, Mark. There's got to be some spare ones around here soon. Broken so, screen. Hello. Yeah. So intercom. The the Alexa the drop-in feature. Uh, you can name each thing its own. So I would name my oldest child's abby right and i'd say alexa drop in on abby and it's immediate it doesn't ring she doesn't have to do anything if she's in bed asleep and i'm trying to wake her up in the morning it just happens um and you can set those up you can bet i'm not going to let them drop in on my bedroom um that will that feature will be turned off they can call and i can answer but for the kids they'll be set up drop in enabled and so it's the ultimate um uh intercom really it's wireless it's it moves place to place you know and it can be wherever i want it wherever i got wi-fi uh so that's my plan for it i'll let you know how that goes okay so welcome to you know now it's big brother big house big world i guess yeah there i i have set it up so that there's not a safe space in my house every word spoken will be immediately accessible by the nsa And then, you know, your Freedom of Information Act whenever you need to remember important dates. So, <laughs> redacted, redacted, redacted. <laughs> It'll be, you know, when when the wife and I are arguing about whether or not she did or did not tell me about something, I can just call up the NSA, sign a Freedom of Information Act, and say, give me the recordings from this date, and, and they'll tell me whether I was right or wrong. It's awesome. It's a marital aid. Yes. <laughs> So Seth made mention of it earlier. Uh, it's entirely possible that while we're doing this show, Bitcoin will hit ten thousand. It's currently at ninety five forty eight fifty. Wow, that could happen. That's insane. I mean, wow. There's and and I've been you know I've been using my uh, Bitcoin miner has uh, Bitcoin Life the last few months. I should have just held on and took the short term you know, late payments on my credit cards and I'd be able to retire soon. <laughs> I don't know. You know, is it, does it matter really? Yeah, it probably does. It's a psychological thing. What What's going to happen? Is this going to hit 10,000 and immediately plummet to about 7,500? Because there, there are a lot of sell orders already put in. 
there are a lot of people are going to say once it hits ten thousand, I'm going to pull out, uh, and then the there will be a, a new cycle for forty eight hours or so about the the crash of Bitcoin and the rise of Ether, and then over the next six months it'll it'll kick up to about fifteen thousand. But once it breaks that ten thousand, uh, I don't think we'll ever see under ten thousand for a sustained period of time. Yeah, I you know I've been, I've got my kind of I don't know my issues with Bitcoin at the moment. And don't get me wrong, I still have a lot of it. I haven't gotten rid of any Bitcoin over the years. Um, so I'm one of those hodlers, uh, one of those guys who just holds on to them. But you know what drives me nuts? Um, we never. This wasn't supposed to be a speculative investment. No. This was supposed to be a way to transact across the nations, you know, for basically free and instantaneous and, and uh, you know, save ourselves from the banks. And the end result is I think the whole thing got co-opted by Wall Street and now it's become digital gold. It's not digital cash. And, well, or, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it's sort of disappointing because I, if I can't buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin, it's – its value to me is is just like having bars of gold in a vault. It's nice to talk about it, but they don't do anything. They're not really of any use. Yeah, but there's been a lot of uh, – I've been reading a lot of reports, and in addition to the like, there's currently – um, I guess, well, with today's prices, it would be closer to three or four billion dollars that they uh, think has been lost. You know, like you've heard stories of people throwing away hard drives with all these Bitcoin keys on them and stuff where unless, you know, somebody remembers their wallet or whatever and can get those back, those are Bitcoins that are lost. But as the price has climbed, the transactions have actually increased more and more people are using it to do stuff. So... I don't know. No, you you, you are right. I, I there's you know recently <laughs> in the last couple of weeks we've had this the forks, you know, everything going crazy since about July when Bitcoin Cash came out. And I tried to not pay any attention to Bitcoin Cash and I know you guys if you got some Coinbase you'll probably have some Bitcoin Cash on January the 1st so there's some to look forward to. The price is quite up quite a bit too. So about 1500 um, right now. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. So you got that to look forward to, which is good. Um, but at the same time, the there's been this kind of rebellion inside the whole Bitcoin community. Well, the original Bitcoin developers, not all, but a vast majority of them, um, including uh, some very prominent players, have basically sort of railed against the very thing they created themselves saying that this was never the intention of Bitcoin to become a, a point of speculation, an investment of speculation. It was supposed to be a transaction rail. It was supposed to have all these various different network effects. Um, you know, it, the original white paper talks in terms of peer-to-peer -peer cash, peer-to-peer -peer transactions, and yet the focus is now on grab some and hold it for a year or so because you could be rich. And, and that's good but it's what it's done is because bitcoin itself hasn't lifted itself up to the challenge of being able to do anywhere near the transactional volume like visa and mastercard can do uh, as a result of that it's now only a speculative holding investment and it's no longer a payment rail and its thunder could easily be taken away by a competing cryptocurrency yeah so when when i'm at a a, a retailer whatever it is buying donuts or gasoline or or 
engine blocks, whatever it is. When I swipe my card, if that transaction takes 10 seconds, I'm rolling my eyes at about eight. Going, come on, come on. And the average Bitcoin, just doing a little uh, searching around it right now, uh, it's kind of hard to find real numbers, but uh, the one that I'm going to hang my hat on, it says the average Bitcoin transaction right now is about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, that's completely unusable in any real world transaction. Uh, a 10 minutes to approve a transaction is ridiculous. Um, and, you know, there's there's things that have been tried to do that, the whole SegWit, the, 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 there's, there's this whole thing, lots of things that have been tried, but nothing has worked. And so as a currency, it's just a bust. And as I've said many times on the show, it can't be both a currency and an investment. Um, and right now it's looking like a, a, uh, a wildly speculative investment. I don't, investment's not even the word I want to use for it. Um, it's a speculation. A commodity. It, yeah. So it's yeah, a commodity. A security. Yeah. But it's and, certainly well, the, not a currency. Right. But it's because it hasn't reached critical mass yet. So, and, but can it? What What's it going to, how, what would get it there? Right. If, if uh, $10,000 per Bitcoin doesn't get it there, what is going to get it there? More in. Well, the hope is the Lightning Network, but we, we won't see that for another 12 months. Yeah, well, I'm talking about just in terms of people who use it. You know, I mean, yes, it has its very vocal But it's unusable. Supporters. That's the thing. How, how can you use it if it's unusable? Well, I mean, you know, okay, it's unusable for daily transactions. But if you're ordering something from Amazon, you know, 10 minutes is not that long to wait for something you're going to get in two days. You know, if you're ordering it, something like that, if you're paying now, you can't do it for a cup of coffee yet because who wants to wait 10 minutes for a cup of coffee? But, you know, it is, it's not usable for day to day stuff, but it's usable for week to week and month to month stuff. And the people who would want to use it, get a wallet, you know, get a Bitcoin wallet, buy some, whatever, um, then there will come a point to where the speculation will level off and we haven't reached that point. And so, yeah, so we're still you, pre, we're still, even today, you're still an early adopter. If you heard this podcast and went out and got, and, you know, did your Coinbase account, um, use somebody's referral link, made your $10 to cover the transaction fees and all that, you're still an early adopter today. So Bitcoin is more analogous currently to PayPal than to Visa. Um, and PayPal has its place, right? It, but it takes sometimes a couple of minutes or more to get the uh, transaction verified at both ends. Uh, so I could see somebody like that. Some PayPal would actually be a good um, fit for them. If they started doing their transactions in Bitcoin, um, that could be beneficial for everybody. Um, and, you know, plus they could take the VIG uh, on doing the math. Uh, but that's... You know that's where we are right now. I, I see your point that uh, for a non-instantaneous internet-only transaction environment, Bitcoin is feasible, but still not yet practical. Right. Well, it, there's some interesting uh, news that's come out in the last month or so that, uh, particularly out of Japan, I, I was really interested to hear that 4,500 retailers in Japan, I think predominantly in Tokyo, accept Bitcoin over the counter now. Um, it, Bitcoin in Japan is now considered a legal form of transaction and currency. Um, it's not 
the government are basically on board with it. They're supporting it. Uh, there are many other governments that have taken the same stance. Mexico is one of them. And what I think of is, you know, I think of Japan as being this overpopulated, you know, place full of first world uh, electronics, gadgety people who expect things instantly. And how can you do 4,500 retailers accepting Bitcoin when you're standing in line at the camera store to buy that, that new Fuji whatever, and you've got all these people standing behind you for them to buy their transaction. You go, I want to pay with Bitcoin, please. And they go, well, that'll be 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. No, that's not going to work. They're going to have to find a way to do it. And, and I think what's going to happen here is Bitcoin is going to become more analogous with the SWIFT network in that, you know, it takes days to get a transaction from point to point because it's got to go through all these intermediate trees. Well, in Bitcoin, it's got to get mined. But separate to that, they'll have separate side chains, separate payment rails like Visa and MasterCard, which can do it instantaneous. Okay, so if that's the case and you've got 4,500 vendors in Japan wanting to do transactions and they need instant transactions, I get, I guarantee here's what they're going to do. They're not going to build a payment rail to the side of Bitcoin. They're going to use a different cryptocurrency. They're going to use Litecoin. They're going to use Bitcoin Cash. They're going to use whatever or the, the current, the nation state will step in and go, here we go, we'll all use Japan coin. Right, the math is solved. We'll just do it our way. Right. And that's, we've opened ourselves up to creating a problem that nobody wants to solve, which means somebody else will step in and solve the problem. And what we'll get, we may not actually like. You know, I mean, one, while it's being worked out, if, if you use Coinbase and I use Coinbase, that transaction doesn't have to touch the blockchain. You know, or it can be uploaded later. And, you know, it, you can have that instantaneous uh, you know, in whatever, you know, whatever one you, it doesn't have to be Coinbase. You can use some other one, but if that's your portal to the, to fiat currency and you're both using it, then, you know, they can upload theirs and then that can take 10 minutes or two days or whatever. Um, so I don't know, it could just, that is a workaround slash fix, say a little F fix for the issue. Yeah, you you're right and it's an illustration of the very problem that I was talking about and that is the whole reason why bitcoin is $10,000 or about to be soon. Um the whole reason of that is because it's decentralized and there's no central authority stepping in the middle and controlling who gets what and who has access to what cash. And if we have to rely on a on an independent a central authority a la Coinbase to do that, then we know Coinbase can get co-opted or taken over by any interest and now the whole thing's lost. And that and that's, I think, the core argument of Bitcoin. The purists want it to be the white paper. The realists realize it can't be. There's got to be a negotiation somewhere in the middle that allows everybody to win. Right now, no one's willing to have the conversation, so it's probably going to be something else. And just quit being greedy. I mean, this is peer-to-peer, you know, back in, no central regulation. Give it 10 minutes. If you want it instantaneous and you're begging for a fix, that wouldn't have to be if you just waited a few minutes. So because everybody's throwing a hissy fit, 
you know, the government will step in and screw it up by becoming a centralized authority. And then everybody quits using Bitcoin and goes to whatever that Bitcoin wanted to be. And then that becomes another problem. And then that becomes another problem. And the next thing you know, you've got 4,000 cryptocurrencies that nobody wants to use because of the regulation nightmare. But yet you demand something now. You demand 100% guarantees. You demand all this crap that give it some time sounds like fiat currency to me <laughs> exactly yeah it's actually it's exactly what we're running away from yeah. um yeah you know we this show is geekery on all fronts where we we talk about politics we talk about currency uh, and and it doesn't matter what we talk about i always get a com- uh, uh, some sort of comment from somebody saying I wish you'd spend less time talking about X and more time talking about Y. And then we spend some time talking about Y. You never talk about X anymore. Um, <laughs> you know, welcome to the world of podcasts. I did discover uh, this week, though, that there are some things um, that I'm not allowed to say at work. And I'm not talking about racial slurs or anything like that. I'm talking about saying that w- when somebody asked me if I'd seen Justice League, my response was, I think that's a Netflix rental for me. I am now a pariah. At work among some of my peers, I might as well have just insulted their great great grandmother's uh, brownies or something. It's like the worst thing I could possibly have said. I'm sorry, I'm not all that interested in Justice League. So Seth, tell me what I'm missing. Okay, I I think I enjoyed Justice League more than I enjoyed Thor because whenever I watched Thor, I was very cognizant of the problems of it tying into the overall MCU and the trilogy and stuff behind it. But when I saw justice league, I liked the way that they all came together, you know, um, finding Aquaman and flash and cyborg and getting them to come in. Um, part of it that I, you know, uh, spoiler alert, Superman was quote unquote dead. Um, so it started out without him. And of course the world's mourned and the world's lost hope, but that kind of flew in the face of the fact that they went out of their way to show Superman wasn't all this hopeful thing. But anyway, it was, it was very enjoyable. Um, some of the fights had like, okay, if you remember Avengers, and the, the fight whenever uh, New York was invaded and it was just like, I mean, you knew they were going to win because it was called the Avengers and not this group got killed. Um, but it was just like, it was like hopeless and they were, they were outclassed and all that. And there was some of that that was in the big climactic fight at the end. And so Josh Wheaton brought a lot of the, the character banter, which is something I enjoy in, you know, like some of my favorite series, like the original Stargate or leverage, the the character banter does it. They, they brought a lot of that in. It was very enjoyable. Some, some of the fights, like some of the fights in Thor, you were just, they were just done. Like somebody puked special effects on the screen and called it a fight. Um, the fights in justice league had more of a, you know, you were more emotionally attached to them. Um, and so they were more enjoyable to watch and be a part of and not something that looks like really cool special effects. And so it was a very enjoyable movie, not a perfect movie. It has some problems in the larger DCU that's being created, but it was an enjoyable movie. I'm glad I saw it. All right. And, you know, six to eight months from now when it's on Netflix, I'll let you know what I think. 
I mean, I enjoyed the big screen. You know, my TV at home is only 40 inches. So, you know, um, but wait, wait, say that again. Yeah, my TV at home is only 40 inches. So, you know, I don't have the big thing like you do. And the super, I only have one sound bar. I don't what have a, a super rich sound American room. elitist you are. My TV at I, home is only 40 inches. Well, no, you're going to watch it at home and you have what? Some 65 inch wall and surround sound and you, you can replicate me. the theater. It's 101 inches. So, Thank you very much. Yeah, I, I can't. So I'm glad I saw it in a theater. Um, okay, and 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 um, I did hear one person lob a, an incendiary grenade uh, into the discussion and say Justice League was better than Thor in every way. Um, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I literally had to put my noise-canceling headphones on at that point to A, avoid spoilers, and B, actually get any work done because <laughs> the, the melee that ensued of, of people seething through their teeth was unlike anything I'd ever heard in my life. It was it was unreal. It, it it was not better than Thor in every way, but in some ways I think it was. Yeah. Um I, I do I, I don't want to spoil uh Thor yet. We'll we'll get to that later. Um but you know I've I have complained about Ant Man repeatedly. Um and the everywhere the character shows up. So like the central co- uh, conceit of Ant Man that they spend uh, several minutes on screen explicating is that no matter his size um his density his mass remains the same that's what gives him the power he's an he's an ant that weighs 200 pounds and that's what gives him the punch he can put that whole 200 pounds into a a millimeter and be basically a human bullet of course when that 200 pound steps on an ant we just forget that we pretend that doesn't happen uh and in civil war when that 200 pounds is 50 feet tall we forget that he couldn't possibly crush an airplane we just pretend that doesn't exist um you know if you're gonna make a rule follow your own dang rule all right so i've talked about this before there is that same problem in thor ragnarok they spend minutes of on-screen time explaining a particular thing and then defecate all over that thing about seven minutes later so, and I'll talk about it later when when we're uh, past the uh, the uh, statute of limitations for spoilers about Thor Ragnarok. But it, uh, I've seen it twice now. I saw it with my wife, and then I took my kids to see it a second time. Um, I noticed it the first time, and then that's all I could think about the second time. And so, uh, I don't know that I'll ever be able to enjoy that movie again in the same way that I can't enjoy not only the Ant Man movie, but anytime Ant Man shows up in Civil War or anything that he'll show up in later, I can't enjoy it because they've ruined it by writing a rule that they didn't follow you just missed that line of dialogue that it's a different (laughs) um it's a different gas that does the giant thing and it increases mass as well so i you know i think you might you probably just didn't hear that because you were griping at your kids or something right but that that fixes it (sighs) okay enough about that um anything else up here that we have to talk about we've been going on for 47 minutes <laughs> and we haven't even gotten to anything yet. let's get to the rants okay uh so this is like i said this is uh your rants your uh feedback from us and uh we will uh, some of it is short and sweet some of it i have a feeling will generate some discussion uh and so we'll just get on with it starting with john mark who says fantasy has become reality I attended a vintage computer festival and someone built and displayed a working Star Trek tri-viewer. 
Um, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He took three flat screen VGA monitors and formed a triangle. People can now face each other while sitting around a table and view a screen. Of course, now we have teleconferencing, which allows you to share a screen with everyone. What was once was science fiction is now a reality. So the TriViewer, remember that in the conference room, there's a picture of it that uh, that he sent in his email where they were the three screens. And it never really occurred to me why they did that. But it was a presentation thing, right? So they could look at each other and look at the screen. Until I read John Mark's words here, it never occurred to me why that was there as a kid i just thought oh that's a neat piece of tech but yeah um and so this guy built this thing he doesn't have a picture of the actual built built thing but uh if you can see it on on the screen uh, in in pretend you can make it for reels cool you know john mark um you have reminded me of something that happened in the 90s which is totally salient to this um I was living in, uh, in California, in Los Angeles, and somebody asked me to go to see a new client who wanted to talk about building some project management software, and the client happened to be Paramount Pictures, and I ended up on the lot, I reckon it was about 1993, and I had a meeting there, and this is, it doesn't sound like anything, but here's the thing, they were recording um, TNG at the time on the lot near where I was sitting in an office. And I remember the weird thing was they wanted to talk about this software thing. So I came in, I was the guy. They wanted to explain what they wanted and I was supposed to tell them what, you know, it's going to cost or whatever. And in 1993, the thing that re- that I remember the most was I'm sitting in this, in this nondescript conference room and up on the wall is this TV and... The thing comes on and there's all these guys in their New York office who are also in the meeting on the teleconference in Paramount Pictures. It was like they were already using this technology in their own business while they were creating Star Trek episodes over on stage eight or something over on the lot somewhere. And uh, yeah, so it was weird when I read this, I'm like, wow, that's like this parallel universe to what was really happening behind the scenes at the Paramount lot. So yeah, cool. go figure. And I would bet that that conference, that video conference thing that you saw there in 1993 would have been a $150,000 piece of equipment that we are now surpassing using the free Google Hangouts app. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they I guess back in those days they had they thought ISDN was a cool thing. Right. I mean, you know, that was probably what they were using. It it didn't have any, you know, latency issues or it seemed to work really well. Cool. Let's see. I will paste the link to the TriViewer into the chat room for the people who will see that later. Um, <clears throat> all right. So moving on, Hank says thanks. He says, guys, thanks for letting me know about No Machine. I was using X2Go for a long time, time and had some latency issues even with my LAN. It has improved with No Machine. Thank you. So there you go. This, uh, that's something that I knew about for years but just never thought to bring to the show. Miles had to scratch his own itch and found something that I already knew about. Um, that's why sharing is important, people. It got it got me out of trouble across the uh, other side of the world. I, I used it very actively in, from Australia. And it, it was, I can't say it's the fastest thing in the world. RDP is way faster. But it still, you know, hey, it didn't cost anything. It got me out of trouble. I was happy with it. There you go. Cool. 
And moving on, Michael uh, has a, a little something to say about old tablets. On the November 8th show, the issue of an old, slow Android tablet came up. I, too, can confirm that every Android tablet I've ever owned slowed to a crawl as it got older. But rather than spending $500 on a new high-end model, I suggest trying the last one that I purchased, specifically the 8-inch Tab 4 from Lenovo. It sells for $130 and is currently running Android 7.1.1 with bug fixes as of September 1, 2017. You could do worse. I certainly have. Wow, you know that I'm going to I'm going to thank Michael here because my wife came to me this week and said, you know, I have a birthday in December, and so she goes, I don't know what to get you for your birthday, and so I gave her these links of things that were like way too expensive, <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, this I can't even justify expecting to get these these sorts of things, so I I don't know. Let me see if I can come up with something for like a hundred bucks, and I. I need a new tablet. So, you know what? I'm going to take Michael's advice. I'm going to tell her to get me this thing, and I'm going to try it out. So, thank you, Michael. You've probably saved me a ton of money and got my slow tablet problem out of the way. So, this show is not intended to be an ad for Amazon, but um, right now, Black Friday deal, the HD Fire 7-inch tablet is $29. The HD, uh, the Kindle Fire HD 8-inch tablet is $49, and the 10-inch tablet is $99. Um, I'm, I'm going to whisper now because this is proprietary information, uh, but I purchased for my wife the 8-inch version uh, for Christmas for 50 bucks, and I bought myself one just because why not? It's 50 bucks. So uh, the a Kindle Fire tablet is... Um, a very reasonable tablet. Uh, it does not come with a Google Play Store on it, but it can be added by anybody with the ability to follow instructions on a website. You don't even need to be super savvy. And at that point, uh, it just is a regular Android tablet. Uh, so I, I debated back and forth between the 10 and the 8-inch um, and, and decided to go with the 8-inch because that, I, that's that's more handy for one-handed typing. But yeah, $49 uh, right now. Uh, amazon.com or if you want the seven inch tablet as low as thirty dollars that is at that point is that's disposable right if you have kids and you want to get them a tablet get them that seven inch hd uh kindle fire um for thirty dollars it's a good idea too yeah i like you know there's a lot of uh, perks you get with amazon that you need an amazon tablet to unlock you can't really do it with an amazon app on a uh, Android or iPhone. So yeah, $30, $40, $50, throw away money. Well, well yeah. worth it. You, you would not like so you, it has a primary computing device, but has a secondary device or first tablet for a kid. Perfect stuff. Yeah. And that $29 is $20 off the regular. That actually all of those are, uh, well, the, no, it's more than that. So the the regular price on the Kindle Fire seven uh, inch tablet is only forty nine dollars, and the regular price on the eight inch. So if you hear this after the Black Friday is over, regular price on the eight inch is is uh, eighty dollars, and the regular price on the ten inch is one hundred and fifty. Uh, considering you could buy three of those for the cost of the cheapest iPad ten inch, uh, they're not great tablets. You know, like the camera, one of the reviews I read was, the best thing I can say we have a, 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 about the camera is that it has one. Um, <laughs> so, you know, not going to be taking great pictures, but uh, for a cheap, like, um, kid tablet or uh, a, you know, a, a single-purpose tablet, like, one of the things that I expect my wife to use with hers primarily is in the kitchen. 
she's always printing recipes off of Pinterest and then taking the piece of paper into the kitchen and hanging it up and, and working from it. I'm going to slip this thing inside a Ziploc bag. Boom. Done. Waterproof receipt uh, recipe uh, reader. Um, so, uh, you know, the, it is the Kindle Fire, so you have to look at ads. Uh, and every button is a buy me button <laughs> pretty much, uh, but it's a tablet and you could, you could hide their skins. You could load your own launchers and you can really make them uh, reasonable tablets for so little money. Hmm. Hey Mike, Mike, you know, Android devices pretty well, right? I think too. I think I do. Okay. So if I wanted to get an Android powered device that would be like an iPad pro, and that is a tablet, you know, that has one of those styluses. Mm-hmm. Do you know a device that would be a, the, the best equivalent in the Android world for that? Um, I don't know a tablet. It would be the Samsung is doing the best with the styluses right now. Um, uh, and maybe the Tab? Yeah. The Galaxy, the, the Samsung the Galaxy, Galaxy tab, tab would probably be the one. It's a 10.4 inch, I think, screen. And um, they have different sizes of it as well. Yeah interesting well, but you pay you pay the premium at that point it, at that point it's a it costs almost as much as an ipad oh they're premium I just have devices. this thing about apple i just don't want to it's just <laughs> but you know here's the thing i got one of those um capacitive stylus pens for like two bucks and they work perfect on my on my cheap tablets so ah that's you interesting know, yeah, go go to elementop.com slash Amazon and look for the little capacitive styluses about the size of a ballpoint pen. You can even get smaller ones that are like quarter size or whatever, uh, or, you know, quarter height size, and just try one of those and see if it works on the tablet you have. So, you know, you got the little rubber ball and uh, kind of, well, not ball, but just a little rubber covering on the end and... I've used it on Android devices. I've used it on my Windows tablet. It's, uh, you know, it's because, like, it's smaller than my finger because I have very large hands. And maybe. Yeah, so I'm looking that. on the Samsung website right now. Their, uh, their Black Friday deal, Samsung Galaxy Tab S3, uh, 9.7 inch screen uh, with the S Pen, is what they call it, uh, which is a, like a digital uh, ballpoint uh, pen. And, uh, it, I don't believe it comes with a keyboard, but you can buy uh, a really snazzy keyboard uh, case that pairs via Bluetooth to get that Surface Pro thing. And right now it's going for uh, $65 directly from Samsung's website. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> I know what I'm doing <laughs> after we finish recording. Yeah. I don't know how long that sale lasts, but that's the price right now. Well, let's hurry it up. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> And Miles just lost connection. <laughs> <laughs> Miles, are you there? Miles? Miles. <laughs> All right. So moving on, uh, again, John Mark uh, sent something, um, and he says, uh, I have, uh, he, he's talking about transferable skill, skills. So I did a, a, a rant a while back about if you're unhappy in your job, you don't like the way things are going, get up off your butt and do something about it. And so he, uh, he writes uh, in response to that, I'm a real-time embedded software slash firmware engineer. And I've been looking for a job for the last three months. I like to work with 8-bit microprocessors and microcontrollers. And for fun, I started writing assembly code for the old Motorola 6809 microprocessor. That sounds like fun. 
Um, then I had a job interview to program the old and new Motorola Freescale uh, NXP68C08 slash HCS08 slash S08 microprocessor, word salad. Uh, I looked at the assembly language for this part and realized that my 6809 experience was transferable to the HCS08. I felt confident I could do the job. I went to the job interview and I got the job. So there you go. His hobby got him a job. Woo! You know, these embedded guys, these are real programmers. These aren't these, you know, rad fourth generation language slackers. This guy actually codes, I mean, assembly. Come on. Man, I'm glad. Yeah. Congratulations on getting the job, John Mark. And I, I'm, I, I'm, you're in awe. I'm in awe right. of you, I mean. So that's, cool. that's an example of him going out and doing something. But the side hustle, the thing that he does for fun, got him a job. But also... This dude has real skills. He doesn't have a degree in, um, you know, 18th century women's literature. He has a real, real-time embedded software firmware uh, skills. Who doesn't need that right now? What company, what major tech company doesn't need those guys? None. So uh, the fact that he was out of work for three months, he was just picking between supermodels at that point. I'm probably uh, pretty certain. Um, so it, it, yeah, John Mark, awesome. You did the work, uh, you, you went out and you took a risk, but also good on you for having real skills. I'm afraid we're looking at a generation of people who don't know what real skills are. A- am I being too harsh? I don't know. Whining is a skill. So, you know, <laughs> and participating is a skill. Look at all the trophies that have been awarded. Um, showing up is a skill. Come on, Mark. You are you're ditzing uh, much of the generation coming after us. How dare you? Don't you have a heart? Uh, apparently not. It, it might also be noteworthy to re- to remember that the old sixty eight oh nine processor was the core of the Tandy color computer. So oh, my I love guess that, is that this guy's got a cocoa. Oh, speaking of cocoa, I saw that movie, the Pixar movie Coco. Uh, I, I was I forgot to put that in there. Uh, we saw it on opening day. It came out uh, uh, the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, no, the day before Thanksgiving, Wednesday. Uh, took my kids to see it uh, in great Pixar fashion. Uh, it's an excellent movie. Uh, made me cry as Pixar does. Um, uh, it's it's a story about family and about uh, passion and about following your dreams, but also knowing where your dreams fit in reality. Um, the uh, <clears throat> The nearest equivalent that a lot of people uh, point to is the Guillermo del Toro uh, animated film Book of Life that came out a couple of years ago. That's a that's a fine film. Uh, my kids and I watch it pretty regularly. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I felt that Coco was much more respective, uh, respectful of the Mexican culture than uh, the Book of Life. The Book of Life takes Mexican culture and and pokes good natured fun at it. Um, and Coco really um reveres it uh and and and, you know both both are uh their their own thing and both have their own right uh but um i just really enjoyed it and and wanted to mention that uh highly recommend it for anybody with young kids but also um it's totally enjoyable for for a grown-up too it's a family movie if you love family or wish you family loved you uh it's a film that you you should go see huh little insert there uh, okay, next up, Allah, um, who is a regular in the uh, uh, chat room, has a podcast recommendation. Said, Hi, guys. Hope you're doing good. I just wanted to share and recommend uh, listening to the episode of 
the the truth podcast that I thought was interesting and uh, uh, and thought provoking. It's entitled "That's Democracy," and we've got a link for it uh, that I'll try to remember to put in the show notes uh, when I put that together. Uh, well, but we the, have actually. I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. I was going to say we actually didn't we have him on. Um, the truth is kind of like you know radio theater for the mind, and we I know we've talked about this one in the past not this particular yeah. episode but if i remember correctly we had him on has a um has a guest low these many moons ago just trying to reference some of our history there yeah don't remember that but uh yeah anyway the the truth podcast uh this particular episode of that's democracy um by the way gonna say it again america is not a democracy it was ever intended to be democracy stop saying that it's a democracy it's not. You don't live in a democracy. Okay, moving on. Are there any true democracies left in the world? I don't. I can't think of one. Maybe some small South African countries or something. I can't think of any global, uh, globally powerful democracies. Is there anything I'm missing? I can't think of one. I draw a blank. It's because democracy does not lend itself to that. You don't want to live in a democracy. You just think nope. you do. Speaking of global powers, uh, Tony comments on UK healthcare from a native perspective. Uh, we did a whole show about that a little while back. It says, as a UK subject, the conversation regarding uh, health re- re- rationing, I think you misspelled it. Okay, there we go. I just, my brain just locked up. I'll go with that. Health rationing. As a UK subject, the conversation regarding health rationing is becoming all too common due to the current underfunding of the health system. All health care is paid for from a general general taxation, and there is no health tax. It's the government's decision on what they invest in health and when they, uh, when they budget spending for each year. This is a limited pot, and the regional health commissioners have to try and balance the budget under the law. All emergency care is free, so if you have a heart attack as a result of your life choices, you will be treated. But if you need elective treatment, this is based on clinical guidelines. If you have the money and are, you are quite at liberty to choose to have private treatment. But the sad truth is that many of those who smoke are very, or are very overweight are more likely to be on government benefits and not able to afford private care. No, it's not perfect, but I think I would rather have the UK system and not have to worry about a large bill after a stroke I suffered this year than the alternative of only getting health care if I paid half my pension for the privilege. So a couple things here I want to unpack. Um, I We made the comment that we weren't sure, not being uh, citizens of the UK, uh, subjects uh, is the word he used, um, that uh, how, how readily um, private care was available. And so he says it's there. You're completely at, at liberty to do it. That's awesome. But I also want to talk about where he says there is no health tax. There is. It, you, it's general taxation. Right? You, there may not be a line item on your your tax form at the end of the year that says health tax, but there is something earmarked. At some point, somewhere down the line, there's a line item. There is there is a budget. You said it yourself uh, for healthcare, and the, and the they add the, you you put that in there or not. So yeah, directly or indirectly, there is a health tax. Um, so those were the two things that I wanted to comment on about that. Guys, you talk now. Uh, there is a health tax. Yeah, and there's a health tax. Australia's the same. Um, look, if 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 you have to. If you're in a life-threatening situation and you're relying on somebody to give you a quality of care that will get you out of trouble and get you out of an emergency, 
having some ability to say, at least my government will take care of me uh, is one way to get through, you know, to sleep at night. It's one way to be able to get through that process. I don't think anybody's saying that that shouldn't be the case. And even in the United States, I think that would be a welcome addition uh, to, you know, what the government can provide. The question here, as I, I get the sense that Tony is sort of saying in his comment, is whether you can actually trust your government to be there to issue a quality of care that's adequate enough to not only take care of the emergency, but also to to clean up the mess afterwards. And I think this is where healthcare is constantly being, you know, we're being let down. It's not that the government, in some cases, the government's saying, you know, we're not providing it, period. And then in other cases, they're saying, well, we'll provide it, but they're doing a really, really bad job at it. And no one's dying, but there's also there's a quality of life aspect which they're not treating as well. And as he, I think he used the term clinical guidelines dictating that, who gets to interpret those guidelines? Is it politicians? Is it medical pro uh, professionals? Is it lawyers? Is it administrators and accountants? I don't know. But if the difference between me, yeah, you're not going to die, but I'm sorry, we had to amputate your leg. Well, that's not really a good end, end result, you know? And, I, and so I, I question sometimes whether government involvement should be something that we can choose to participate in or not. Um, one could argue the same in education. You know, the, uh, I, I was lucky enough to be able to afford to put my daughter in a private uh, high school or private school um, because we tried public schools and in Arizona they were terrible and they let her down in every single case and I literally had to step in and go, all right, if they're not going to do it, I'll do it myself. Where do we go and how much is it going to cost? And here, have my pound of flesh and my kid got a good education. And now looking back, I'm so glad I did. I want to be able to have the same choice in, in healthcare, but not be forced to have to pay a tax for something I'm not going to use. Uh, totally agree. And, you know, in the, again, the problem is this situation is only going to get worse because the population rates are you know, birth rates are falling. And so you have less taxpayers supporting a proportionally larger government, proportionally larger healthcare bureaucracy, more, there's more bureaucratic oversight. That means there's more in the healthcare field. There's less healthcare positions and more management and more oversight and more government and more regulation and more advocates and more quality control and more janitors and more builders and more housekeepers and and more bookkeepers and more pension write-offs from lazy bums. We were just glad to get out of the system and less actual doctors and nurses doing the job. And so while it's bad this year, and these are kind of more elective things, well, next year it's going to be, if you weigh 400 pounds and you have a heart attack, good luck. And you know, maybe that's not next year. Maybe that's next decade. And again, it's like, Oh, well, you know, it would never go that way. Yeah, we'll go back in 10 years and say that these guidelines will happen in 10 years and nobody will say, that it never happened. You know, this is, this is the United Kingdom and we, you know, we survived the blitz and we'll do this and we'll, you know, whatever. And, you know, in America, look across the pond. At, that's where you're going to be. That's where we're going to be a generation from now because we're stupid and, you know, we passed this crappy healthcare healthcare prevention bill and locked in the prices for the first couple of years. So 
and now all the rails are coming off and people are just finding out how sore it is to sit down on this new tax and how hard it is to change because we think we're getting something for nothing. And what's going to happen is we're not going to have anything um, because there's too much bureaucratic oversight and not enough actual health care. And I know that doesn't really tie in with his email, but, you know, we're geek ran. We don't really have right. to. <laughs> and and to to your point, uh, Tony, you said something about uh, uh, you prefer that system to the privatized system. Uh, you know, Seth, everything that Seth just said about government is also true of bureaucratic insurance companies. Uh, the the mecha- the mechanism that we have, the privatized uh, mechanism that we have in the U.S. is as broken as the public uh, mechanism you have in the U.K. Um, the you know uh, the the major payers in the u.s blue cross uh, Aetna, um you know those those uh major companies are big enough and bureaucratic enough to be governments and they act just as illogically illogically as governments the problem is not um who pays for health care the problem is that the individual is unwilling or unable to pay for health care that's that's the issue and Miles talked about his public school thing, right? He put his kid in private school, but he was still paying school taxes all those years. Still is today. He's still funding a school he didn't use. Um, and Tony, you, uh, even though there's not a, a particular line item where there's no health tax, there is a health tax. How much l- lower would your taxes be if your government did not uh, pay health care? I mean, they would have a hard time justifying a big chunk of the money they were taking. Now, we all know governments never give back money. Uh, but still, um, if they had never agreed to pay for health care, you would pay, be paying less taxes now. I think that's a reasonable assumption to make. Um, if my uh, the insurance that I pay into, that in many ways you could still call that a single-payer system, just my single-payer happens to be a company instead of a government, is every bit as broken because I'm not paying for it myself. Um, and so they have leverage there and they can charge me for stuff I don't use. So every month, every year I pay a fee, whether I use it or not. Um, and I'm a relatively healthy guy, despite my, uh, uh, obesity. Um, I I don't, I don't go to the doctor. I don't need medications. I don't take regular medications. I don't, I don't get sick very often, very rarely. Um, by the, you know, every time I go to the doctor, he tries to find something wrong with me. He likes to run EKGs and all that sort of stuff because I'm fat, therefore I must be unhealthy. Uh, and I let them because if I'm unhealthy, I want to know it. But so far, um, the old ticker's still going strong. Um, and so I'm still paying for health care that I'm not using. That is, you know, that's the same as is in the UK. Uh, it's the same as it is in Australia. It's the same anywhere when you're not paying for your own health care. And so when a system grows up around uh, people not paying for their own health care, that's where the bloat comes in. If I wanted to go to, to a hospital today and get a quote for a surgery, that would be very near, if not entirely impossible, because nobody actually knows what things cost. They would say, well, it depends on who your payer is. No, I'm the payer. I want to write you a check, or I'll bring in a, a cashier's check, or, or a wad of $100 bills. I just I need an appendectomy. How much does it cost? I, I, do, I don't know. Nobody could know that. I could go. I could talk to the highest level administrator. Nobody would know that answer to that question because they'd all say, well, it depends on who the payer is. It's me. I'm the payer. Um, and I'm exaggerating there. But that is largely how it is that if you show up and want to pay cash for your own services, people are not handle that because the whole system is built around somebody else paying for it. 
So if we could abolish all of that, insurance companies, uh, government health companies and everything, and say, you pay, you get the health care you can afford to pay for, everything would be way cheaper. I'm not saying it would be better. Be better. I'm not saying it's a better system. I'm just saying looking at it from the pure economic standpoint, everything would be orders of magnitude cheaper because they would not be able to, to continue to charge the rates they're charging. They would not be able to continue to charge $10 for a Q-tip that they use to wipe up you know, a, a, a blood specimen uh, in a lab. They wouldn't be able to do that because that's insane. And insanity can only get away with that if it's filtered through several layers of bureaucracy. Any other business, we'd call it money laundering. But if it's healthcare, we call it insurance. Yeah, you, you're right. I, I did a little uh, interesting study uh, about a month or two ago. Um, I needed to, not from, well, actually, this for me, I, I have a injury dating back. 20 years from a road accident that I need to get some work done on, but my insurance won't cover it. It's pre-existing. Uh, so I was going to look at whether or not it made sense to actually go and get the work done uh, overseas. And one of the things I needed to be able to provide was an MRI of my shoulder. So I went searching to find out how much is it going to cost for me, because I'm going to have to pay for this. My insurance won't cover it. How much is it going to cost for me to get this MRI uh, for the physicians to be able to know what they're dealing with. So I know, you know, it's kind of, I think of it kind of like an architect builds a design to a building before you get the general contractors in. So the general contract in this case would be the surgeon, the architect is the, is the lab doing the MRI. So anyway, shopped around, best price in the United States I could find, and nobody wanted to quote me over the phone, but I eventually managed to get it. Best price, $3,300 for an MRI. Little little searching, I found out for the cost of about a, a well for me a frequent flyer miles ticket on Southwest down to Acapulco four hundred and fifty bucks out the door. It's exactly the same equipment, exactly the same machine. The machine is a Siemens machine, was made in Germany. It's the exact same procedure, the exact same lab result. I get it delivered to me on a DVD ROM or something like that, and then I give it to the physician. How can it be $3,200 in one place and $450 in the other? That's the problem. We've got no choice. So this is, this is how, how we're <laughs> – you might not be medically uh, getting you know, screwed over, but financially you sure are. Yeah, and you know, in forcing people to pay into a broken system, there's no impetus on the system to fix itself. Why should it? Everybody has to buy it. Um, I had this surgery done for this thing on my neck that, it, you know, my thought after having that whole process is if I have a heart attack, I think it would be better to deal with it myself than the stress that would be caused by dealing with it again. But when it was time to settle up the bill, they, I asked them how much it would be, you know, I, I showed them all the insurance I had and then they said something, it was going to be like a thousand dollars. And I said, okay, what if I don't show you the insurance and I just write a check right now? Oh, well, if you're paying cash, we'll do it for five. Yeah, I mean, there's often a self-pay discount because they, they don't have to go through, through the bureaucracy. You're saving them time and money. Yes, and I was paying for insurance that it was cheaper. Mm -hmm. So that year... Paying insurance cost me all of the premiums I paid. I mean, it was just like, like I say, I think if if I if if I if you told me Seth in one hour you're going to have a heart attack, forty five minutes of that would be me deciding maybe it won't be a bad one and I really don't need to go to the hospital because I just. <laughs> 
I, the 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 bureaucratic process that would raise my my blood pressure is going up now just thinking about it. It it is awful. The the state of health and insurance is not health care. Insurance is not health care. If somebody tells me I pay for health care, I might go to prison on assault charges because insurance is not health care. A doctor providing services is health care. A nurse providing services is health care. A nutrition, somebody working on nutrition, they are providing a health service that is health care. Providing, paying insurance companies money is not health care. Quit accepting the lie that you have health care. You don't. You have overpriced, crappy insurance that you'll get a better deal if you say, how much is this if I pay cash? So, okay, my rant's yeah. over. Next. Uh, yeah, there's certain, there are definitely more strings I could pull that, but we'll move on. Um, uh, Scott uh, has a request that we should be more global. So I was just wondering, since you have someone on board, uh, that we could hear maybe uh, uh, more about what is going on in the world. Heaven forbid our own media actually uh, reports on anything useless, uh, uh, reports on anything unless it involves mass murder or Trump. Anyhow, nothing to hate about the show. Keep up the good work, Scott, a.k.a. Pinecone. Uh, so, Scott, uh, we do have a guy with a funny accent, but sadly he's an American. <laughs> I do travel around a bit, though. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I want to be that sort of international man of mystery. Um, <laughs> but no, I'm an American. But uh, I, I can. I, I, I'm trying to think. I tell you what, you know, here's something, Scott. This will give you a little bit of a taste. Um, he's. It's very interesting how he puts it in his email that uh, the media actually reports on anything unless it involves mass murder or Trump. Um, yeah. It, it, it is actually interesting, and you don't get to remember that the world isn't what the media tells you it is until you go and see it. Um, I was uh, very in, very surprised when I got to uh, small town uh, Mount Gambier in South Australia, and I was talking to my brother-in-law. We had us over for a, an afternoon of barbecue at his place, and he says to me, as, as I get this a lot when I travel, so what's all this about Trump? What's going on about Trump? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on about Trump because personally, whether he tweets something or he doesn't, doesn't change my world in any way. I still have a life and a job and things to do and family to look after. I really don't care what he's on about this week. So I've kind of switched it off, you know, out of sanity. But what are you hearing? And what I find out is that his news media – are so in Australia was so pro Trump on everything in the 2016 election. And I thought, well, that's really weird, isn't it? Because you think like Hillary Clinton was the Secretary of State, you'd think she'd be more in their purview, you know, that they'd be more interested in her because she's been out there traveling and representing the America for years. No, it was all Trump. And then I found out, you know why? If you go in the UK, one of the dominant media channels over there is Sky. And if in Australia, the dominant media channels over there, they're all owned by Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> so the Fox News Network is alive and well outside of the United States as much as it is here. Um, and yeah, the, the, 
the concept of getting multiple points of view on things is as distorted outside of the US as it is in the US. I'm not saying that anybody's right, wrong or indifferent on their opinion, but trying to get a complete opinion on all things globally is is a wish that isn't going to get solved by anybody, unfortunately. Um, the one thing I can say about global, though, is that when you're overseas, a lot of the things that we deal with and we get stressed out in the United States, like, um, I don't know, just, just little things like Apple's got a new iPhone or, you know, there's this new thing on Pinterest or there's this Facebook thing or there's this, you know, Uber thing or whatever. Everybody in the rest of the world goes, yeah, whatever. We don't care. They're out, you know, farming in agriculture and they're serving people at the shop or they're in the pub with their friends watching the football game or they're, you know, it's like there's a more, there's much more of a human community village-like attitude in the places that I go to outside of the US than in the US. And I think the one thing which is a, a, a major noticeable takeaway that I've been able to get from traveling and coming back and then traveling and coming back is that unfortunately I think a lot of the technologies which we've invented that we get so stressed out and so almost religious about our affinity with is the one thing that's alienating us and it's it's stopping us from really being humans and everybody else in the at least in the countries that I've been traveling to they seem to get that human thing down a little better right now and I'm not saying that the U.S. can't do that, but it's like I go to Australia, I feel like I'm going back into 1950s United States. And and all the things that I didn't live in the 50s in the United States, but all the things I heard of, of how great things were and how human beings came together and you knew your neighbor and you helped people out. And if somebody broke down on the side of the road, you pulled over and helped them, you know, get back on the road again and all that sort of stuff, That that's happening outside of the U.S., in many of the places I travel to, unfortunately, here in, in Phoenix, where I live, it is not happening. And, and that's sad. So, anyway, it's not, it's not as positive. I'd like to say, all oh, there's great things going on everywhere. Well, things are different. It just seems like we're losing our humanity in the process here in the U.S. Just a quick aside. I need to make a correction. The uh, $65 Galaxy Tab S3 that I quoted you. That's for the keyboard, not the oh, tablet. Okay. I'm glad I didn't rush off. The tablet <laughs> is $500. Oh, Sorry. okay. Oh, well. <laughs> not, not that everything you didn't say, it just said wasn't valuable, <laughs> but I, I saw that. I, I, I still had the page up, and I tapped over there and went, oh, I need to fix this because he thinks that he can get a tablet for $60 when, <laughs> no, you can't. Anywho, Sorry. that's, uh, yeah. So, yes, humanity is a thing. Uh, the problem is humans suck. <laughs> <laughs> Without exception. Okay, uh, I'm supposed so, to be the negative person here. Y'all need to, <laughs> y'all need to get back on the other side. <laughs> it's crowded over here. <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Uh, Eric uh, offers a comment on episode 307. So 307 was the one where I talked about the hotel employee smoking, uh, and we had that whole discussion about uh, what is socially acceptable and what isn't. And Eric uh, has an interesting insight there. He says, I've been thinking about episode 307. I would think that the fire pit would be an appropriate place for a smoker to go to smoke. 
If you're hanging around a fire, you're automatically breathing smoke from the fire. Worrying about tobacco smoke seems pointless. Blessings, Eric. Excellent point, Eric. Except that this was a gas fire with no smoke. Yeah. Well, and plus, you know, wood is natural. A lot of the crap they add to cigarettes aren't. So, you know, it's not like people walk around with these uh, packages of pure tobacco and they roll their on. You buy... um, you buy cigarettes laced with all kinds of crap that produces a smell worse than death. So, um, at least that's my opinion. So, I mean, but I, I would agree with you that a fire pit would be a place that you would expect smoke. So, yeah, that was actually something I hadn't considered even a little bit. So, excellent point there. Uh, but this was one of those propane or natural gas powered things that bubbles up through like uh, glass marbles. A very clean and sanitary, essentially just for toasting marshmallows. Uh, so it's still uh, the smoke produced by the smoker was the only smoke around. Uh, but an excellent point, nonetheless. Yeah, if I know, if it, I were at a campground and somebody lit up, I don't think I'd care quite so much. No, but if I was in a barbecue restaurant and somebody lit up, I'd be furious. Good point. Different then, smoke. Then yeah. don't go outside and watch them cook. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah, I, I had another experience just this week. I was out uh, in front of a restaurant. Um, I was waiting. I was meeting somebody there. It was a beautiful, sunny day. Uh, uh, I sat outside uh, the restaurant on a bench they had provided. It was just an amazing day. I was really enjoying it, waiting for my friend to show up. And then a guy sat down, you know, 50 feet away. He he appreciated, he, he gave me a buffer zone, but lit up a, a cigarette, which immediately wafted right over to me and ruined my moment. I'm not, I'm not saying that what he did was evil. I'm just saying that it totally ruined a really enjoyable moment for me, and I really wish that that didn't have to happen. Yeah. All right. That's all i got to say about that. Uh, vaping, on the other hand, I have no problem with. What you're spitting out is essentially water vapor. Uh, I am very anti-smoking. I don't let people smoke in my home. I don't let people smoke in my cars because I, I have asthma. Two of my children have asthma. It's a bad thing. Uh, it can really ruin my day. Uh, but I let people vape in my cars because it's a it's an entirely different experience. In fact, it's a quite pleasant smell. I don't mind it at all. So maybe I'm a hypocrite. Actually, I know I'm a hypocrite. Maybe I'm a hypocrite about that as well as other things. <laughs> and then the lastly, let's get a little geeky here. Michael is in favor of isolation, sort of the uh, Monroe Doctrine of technology. Uh, he said on last week's show, someone mentioned their IoT devices were isolated on their own network. Great. But this is only a first step. IoT devices really need to be isolated from each other, too. A Wi-Fi-enabled washing machine should not be able to see any other devices on its Wi-Fi network. If the washing machine is malicious or gets hacked, it should not be able to infect or spy on anything else in your home. Uh, Then he gives an article link, and he says this article uh, offers examples of what can go wrong without isolation within a LAN. Isolating devices from others on the same SSID is a standard, ordinary thing. Some, maybe many, old-school routers offer this as an option for their guest networks. Any professional router should offer it, too. I've not seen a mesh router system that offered this as an option, but I've not tested if it's standard practice, but and have not tested if it's standard practice on their guest networks or not. It's an easy thing to test if it's enabled with LAN scanning software. Uh, I like Fing for this as it runs on multiple operating systems. Sorry about the rant on a soapbox, but I run the routersecurity.org website and this is my soapbox. Enjoy the show. Thanks. So routersecurity.org, I will definitely be checking that one out. Um, I will say that my Google Wi-Fi um, does uh, 
when you turn on the guest network and that's that that's what i was talking about i was talking about uh, uh being uh the, it's on my guest network on my guest network the option says uh um I'm just gonna get. I wish I had it in front of me. But basically, when you put it on, when you configure your guest network, one of the options is uh, devices can only see the internet. So that's how mine is configured. So all of my, if you connect to my um, Wi-Fi guest, all you see is the internet. You don't see anything else on the internet. So you have a one-way path from you to the internet, um, uh, and that's how I have my guest network and my IoT network configured. It's a little scary because um, I understand what he's saying and there's an assumption that Michael's making that all of the IoT devices uh, in my house, for example, I'll just use my own experience with this, are actually using some sort of TCP IP protocol. Um, they're not. Like my lights and my water fountain control system my mo- motion detection and a lot of water sensors, uh, they're all run Z-Wave or Insteon or some protocol that's not uh, based on an internet protocol. And they're all reporting back to a central controller, which itself has no access to the internet at all. Um, so it is isolated in that regard. However, what he brings up is a really important point, and that is that newer devices that are coming online you don't have the choice anymore about whether or not those devices are Wi-Fi enabled or not. And and I think that it's a, it's a decision that I would make when I choose what, I don't know, what doorbell to put on my house or what, you know, the, all these various new devices that are coming out as to whether or not I would go with any device that has any form of TCP co- connectivity at all. Uh, I would choose not to. Um, case in point, I, I think I mentioned before that one of the things we were doing in the house here was putting in a, a water flow meter and a water shutoff valve that could be remotely able to trigger if my control system detected a, an excess amount of water flow. Um, and that was something which, again, when you're traveling is important because, you know, you want the machine, the house to look after itself. Um, I realized you know, I was sort of sitting on the plane coming back from Australia and thinking to myself, you know, if I put on a water flow shut off or turn on valve that's that's an IoT device, what if my house gets hacked? I mean, you think about all the things that, you know, if it was a camera, yeah, okay, what's the, the bad thing if some bad guy gets in there and is stealing footage off a camera? Whatever, it's not going to ruin my life. If, uh, if it's my light switches and the lights in my home and they start turning them on randomly, on and off, well, whatever, not going to ruin my life. But if it's a water flow valve and they flood my house, then that's a different story, as it would also be with electrical supply or anything else. And I found myself falling into the trap of a water flow meter is just another IoT device, what could possibly go wrong? Of course it could possibly go wrong. And every single device has to be, you have to make your purchase decision on whether or not you're willing to accept that risk or not because these devices are now touching areas that are of critical uh, factor in your um, infrastructure of your house. So I would say, firstly, I, I hear exactly what Michael is saying, and I would never buy a TCP IP enabled IoT device if there was an alternative to that. 
Having said that, I have to go and check myself because I'm looking at buying devices that could literally destroy my house uh, if they're if they're hacked. At some point, though, you have to consider um, the the likelihood of that happening. You know, are you a likely target for a dedicated uh, attacker who wants to flood your house? Um. You know, because I can't see script kitties out there just searching the world for flow valves and turning them all on randomly. But how I mean, but these days it's just it's write a scan and start, you know, spin up a server on AWS and go for it. And you're not doing anything. You're doing it just to piss people off. So it's not like is are is somebody targeting your flow control valve it's like ooh this is a cool exploit i read about let me see if i can catch anyone with it and so they're not targeting you they're targeting that device wherever it happens to be yeah i mean it could also be used as a, i'm i could un, become an unwitting victim in a larger crime that they're trying to attack a, a i don't know a, a dam or um you know a municipal see, water supply yeah, this is a great novel because what happens is in the future, everything has this. And so you trigger this in like an entire subdivision or something. And so the water goes and it depletes whatever water tower or resource. So that way, whenever they launch their attack on the government installation to start a fire, the water pressure isn't there to do it. And that brings the services offline whenever their true motive of robbing the Federal Reserve or something comes out. So I'm telling you, you know, it's this is a science, not even science fiction. This has just become fiction. You know, that it's like, oh, yeah, that, that could happen. There's nothing far-fetched or fantasy about it. So I'm telling you, we we there's the we need to go into the Element OP publishing department and get started on some of these books. <laughs> $9,700 on Bitcoin, by the way. If we keep talking, we may hit 10K. Oh, yeah, look at that. Um, I, I'm, I'm just thinking about this so that I, I'm, not, I'm not sure how far this rabbit hole uh, I want to go. But if you're talking about the Z-Wave thing, um, there's only two ways to communicate with that. You either communicate with the hub over the internet or you're in close physical proximity to be able to trigger the device itself. So again, you're, you are a super targeted attack if somebody's going to be walking up to your um, house and walking around to find the flow control valve, because um, you know it's not going to be accessible from just any place on your house, they've got to get close enough to it that the Z-Wave can communicate. Or you just make sure that the hub itself is secured um, behind your firewall. It just—it really doesn't seem like it's that big a deal to me. No, I think in that case you're right. That—that that would be a strategy I can live with. I'm very happy with that. Um, what I'm not happy with, though, is that the next flow control valve has its own internet-enabled, you know, firmware updating thing, like a Nest thermostat, right. for example. That's where I draw the line because I don't want Nest. I, I don't want the thermostat to my uh, air conditioner deciding. Well, I'm sorry, you can't have cold air in 120 degrees in Phoenix because I got to do a firmware update. No, that, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> It's yeah, not, we don't support that model anymore. Uh, default settings off the day but at the after same time, you went on vacation. Right. At the same time, you can't not have firmware that updates. 
that's the that's the surest way to make sure that everything's going to go to hell is to not have firmware that that, that updates over the internet. Right. So it's 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 a it's a fine line you have to walk. So and in my dystopian novel, here's the thing: you're not going after all these individual things. You hack the company that has recorded every location that it dialed in from, and then it pushes out an update that punches a hole in your firewall, and you've just breached the entire neighborhood. Tell me that can't happen. I think the I think the point is that uh, these are things that have to be considered, and nobody's considering them. Manufacturers aren't considering them. Salespeople aren't considering them. End users aren't considering them. Um, and yet, they must be considered. Yeah, uh, Michael is. So props to him. Right. I obviously am. Can't you tell? Yeah. Props to <laughs> Seth. There you go. Um. Yeah. I'm. 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 I'm real down all of a sudden on this. Um. You really. Huh. I, why? Why do I care anymore? Um, so the 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 cure there uh, there is I guess roll all your own IoT stuff. If everything starts with an Arduino or an I, uh, or a Raspberry Pi, and you don't download any open source code but hand code it yourself, then you can be relatively sure that you'll be safe for anything but your own mistakes. Yeah, really. Let's yeah. all do that. There you go. Or do you really need that flow control valve powder? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, we all know the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> It's like I, I we had a, a leak. I mentioned it on the show earlier. Our, our, our garbage disposal leaked, and so I went and bought a uh, a moisture detector. Uh, it's it's a smoke detector. Only it doesn't detect smoke. It's got two points, and if water connects the bridge between those two points, it makes a loud beep. Um, not good if I'm going to be in Australia for two months, but good enough to make sure that something doesn't leak for a week. Like uh, like we think it did uh, uh, before. So there are always low tech solutions to high tech problems. Okay, that's enough about that. Um, as always, Seth. In keeping with fashion, we're going to skip all the news, um, unless there's just something here that we have to do. I mean, uh, it's the standard fair. FCC hates you. Being bypassed really in quite a yeah. while. Yeah, it's been it's been a few weeks. Uh, the The FCC hates you and wants you to pay more money. Um, there you go. Yep. Okay. You just summed up. (laughs) I think we can say though, I think net neutrality is a lost cause. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been dead for a year. There's a Um, lot of people out there who are still out there on the internet. You know, the vigilantes, they're out there fighting the, the, the good fight to try to stop it, you know, keep net neutrality. I'm sorry. You're a year late. Yeah. Yeah. I I really think the issue. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Seth. Oh, okay. The issue is um, Donald Trump won the election. So, I mean, and as much as I hate to say it, being a conservative person, um, the Democrats have a much better record on net neutrality than the republic or the people that the democrats have sold out to have a better record on net neutrality than the people the republicans have sold out to so that's just that's the short um, explanation yeah I, I would like to be able to offer more nuance to that but i got nothing <laughs> um uh, maybe in the case of, of you know maybe in the case of you know it it takes a carter to get a reagan maybe we have to see what the world looks like without net neutrality before people get upset enough to bring it back 
Yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yeah. Uh, okay, Seth, what happened this week in history? All right, Mark. On November the 26th, 1976, Microsoft was trademarked. Bill Gates and Paul Allen registered the trade name Microsoft with the Office of the Secretary of State of New Mexico. Previously, Gates and Allen had been working under an informal partnership known as Microsoft, a combination of microcomputer and software. The partnership continued for several more years until Microsoft Incorporated in July of 1981, just prior to the introduction of the IBM PC. And that's what happened this week in history. And now, Mark, back to you. And the world was never the same again. Would you love him or hate him? Bill Gates, um, in his partnership with Paul Allen, changed the world. You cannot deny that statement. Um, and it all happened right here, well, Jan, uh, November twenty sixth. It, it is. Yep. A, there was something about that time that there were no rules. It was the wild west, and these guys could make up. Everything there, no one wanted to know about computers or, or that sort of thing. They, they might, there was, I remember the 80s, there were no TV shows about computers. There was no billboards about computers. People, if you wanted to buy a computer, you had to go and hunt down some store in, a, in some cheap part of town because nobody could afford to pay for decent real estate and maybe you were lucky enough to have Radio Shack and you could go in there and know that the guy running the, the shop didn't know anything about computers, but there was one in the back somewhere. Um, and it all sort of changed around about 81 when, you know, Tandy had their computer centers and and there were all these computer lands and, and stores like these would sort of pop up all over the place and, and Apple was a thing and and all of a sudden, it started to become something people wanted to talk about. And this is just indicative of technology in all forms, whether it be telephones or Bitcoin or the internet or microcomputers. And and those people like Bill Gates and Paul Allen back when they did what they were doing, they didn't know what was going to become of what, you know, it was to them, it was a punt. They had faith. There are a couple of geeks that didn't really think like everybody else, right? And most people wouldn't didn't want to think like them. They didn't want to be like them. Um, but these guys had the the audacity to stick it out and to actually think that what they were doing was important. Where everybody else told them, "Go away, kid! I've got my CB radio to play with. I don't need no computer, whatever that is." Hmm. Um, and look what happened. So rebels come in all shapes and sizes. And somebody's passion for something should never be easily dismissed because you never know you could be talking to the next Bill Gates. Yep. Yeah, and and people would like to to be at Bill Gates' position, right? Uh, if incredibly wealthy to the point where you, it would be very difficult, if even possible, to spend all of his money. Paul Allen the same way. Allen got out years ago and has just been doing nothing but spending money for for thirty years. Um, and so people would love to be in that position, but you have to be able to take the risk. You have to be willing to drop out of Harvard. You have to be willing to stay up all night coding and do a presentation, uh, with unwashed hair. You have to be able to, to sell something you don't own yet. Um, these are all things that Bill Gates and Paul Allen did. Um, and if you're not willing to take the risk, you will never reap the reward. Um, another, another lesson that I think younger generations need to learn 
um, there there can be no reward without risk. The best you can get is mediocrity. And if mediocrity is okay, if that's okay with you, and it is, 99.999% of the entire human population has lived and died in complete anonymity and utter mediocrity. It's not necessarily an evil thing, but uh, it's safe. And, and you can be safe and you can be mediocre your whole life, but you will never be transcendent if you don't take incredible risks. It's also didn't mean to sermonize. No, you're right. And you know the thing I would add to that is that age has a uh, is an interesting animal when it comes to this because these people were in their twenties, maybe even younger, when they were doing these sorts of things. And it's easy for me. You know, I'm I'm over fifty years old. I can look back. I remember what it was like when I was twenty, doing the same kind of things and at that level, but you know, in different things. And I thought, you know, I was doing, I was on a holy mission to do what I was doing in business. And I look back now as a 50-year-old and it would be easy for me to sit back and dismiss what they were doing as being, oh, those kids, what do they know, you know? But no, they do know. And the thing is that we have to realize that passion is not, a, is not something that uh, has age associated with it. It happens at all levels, and when somebody is passionate about something, be inquisitive as to why, because maybe they've discovered something under a rock we haven't even been willing to look up uh, to lift up yet. Yep. <laughs> Erudite point, as always, <laughs> Seth. Um. Okay, so this is the part where I tell you how you can feedback to us. Go ahead and send me feedback, even though I'm going on hiatus for a little while. Uh, I, I, I like to see your emails, and uh, who knows? They may show up in a future uh, listener feedback show. Uh, go to elementop.com, uh, click on the contact, contact Us button, uh, answer the world's hardest captcha, fill out the form. Uh, that's the best way to do it. Or you can dial 559-IAMOPI, uh, record a voicemail on our Google Voice box uh and uh, and we'll probably play it on the show at some point in the future i'll certainly listen to it um so uh, let us know what you think um about anything and everything um except maybe the color of your drapes i, I probably don't need to know about that but otherwise you know all uh, all things are on the table so now seth what do you have to lower my productivity that's making you look like a better hiring option all right. Well, this is a YouTube video, so it has sound, but the sound is in Japanese. So this is a Japanese game show of guys trying to climb a um, a stair that is very slippery. So it, it was just fun to watch, and it was silly. Nothing, n- nothing bigger or shattering. And you don't have to have sound, and but like I say, it's just kind of funny. So Japanese game show trying to climb up stairs that are filled with some type of oil, and of course, you know they fall down and wreck everybody below them. And sometimes when the somebody else is ahead of you, almost to the top, you grab them and pull them down with you. And it it was just it it you know you probably won't super laugh out loud, but you will chuckle several times through. You know, Japanese culture is such an odd mix of the proper and the indecent, uh, just reveling yeah. in the streets together. You know, this these guys who are climbing oil-covered stairs in skin-tight leotards are probably businessmen 
um, who are hammering out multi-million dollar deals Monday through Friday and Saturday this is what they do for fun it's it's such an odd mix of of what is proper and what is ludicrous and they respect both equally yeah you know if this were an American game show there would be 15 or 20 scantily clad women um, you know with larger than average chest size walking around doing this too so I it just I mean to me this is innocent kind of fun it's silly and yes it's very stupid but you know you can watch this with your three or four year old and they will laugh and it's it's just fun so I miss some of the great shows like Wipeout, right. things like that, that are, you know, that were family friendly, and uh, you were laughing with the people and not laughing at them. Right. Uh, I, 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 it, it's, it saddens me that so much of American co- comedy is laughing at people. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody's laughing with Little Honey Boo Boo. You know, that whole show is about looking at them and saying, "I feel better about myself because at least I'm not them." Right. Anyway, now I'm sad again. <laughs> man that's just got to be you mark because i mean this should have this should have raised you up no i'm enjoying watching these guys and the dude got almost to the top he really had the technique nailed and then boom he's gone and and I, i'm enjoying this this is nine minutes and 12 seconds these guys they were in uh, uh, uh really into this they were dedicated yep. uh, to this um so anyway like i say just enjoy it you know share it with your with the family as they come in you know for if you've already had thanksgiving and people are coming in for christmas hey let's watch this and you know i could see this as like something playing uh in a a boardroom before a meeting as some sort of motivational thing about never giving up right or about you know being stupid either one um anyway so um that's it for a while um the last show of 2017 for sure, unless these guys put their heads together and do something without me. Uh, I am going dark. I'm going on vacation. Um, and, and then we'll see what happens after that. I, 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 I'm, I'm coming back. I mean, I love doing this too much to not come back, uh, but I'm not sure it'll be in January. We'll just see. Um, uh, the only cure for burnout is not doing it. Uh, there's just no other cure. Uh, there's no there's no amount of of uh, pep talk or, or or anything that's gonna make me less burned out. There's something that I have to stop doing. I can't stop working because you know people need me to work. Um, I can't stop being the parent of teenager. Oh my God, do I wish I could some days. Um, so the really the only the only pressure valve I have is stopping this and a couple of other uh, you know non essential things. So anyway, there we are. Sorry to be a bummer. Um, Love you all. It's been a great uh, year, 2017. I look forward to more in the future, um, and uh, we'll see you later. Remember, pay for what you like. <laughs>